welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. Today's show, we're going to talk about something in more detail than we have in the past. I've often alluded to the fact that being a executor on a state is a massive pain in the butt. And we're going to get into a little bit of that today, but also discussion about how to effectively handle an estate should you ever be in that situation. And for that conversation, I brought Melissa Best onto the show of Quick Estates to essentially talk about how you can avoid some of these big precarious issues. And now here's my interview. Hello, Melissa. How are you doing? Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me on your show this morning. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for making the time. So Melissa Best, tell us about what it is you do. Well, I'm the CEO and founder of a software application called Quick Estate, which helps advisor clients organize their affairs before death or disability strike. And it also helps their executors settle the estate once they're gone. And what I'd like to share this morning are some of the challenges, the biggest challenges facing executors and where advisors can play a role, active or passive, in terms of helping their clients overcome these challenges. And in doing so, cement the relationship with client families and maintain their position as the most trusted advisor to increase risk. So let's start off by painting the picture of what the obligations of an executor are. We can start there and then talk about exactly where the traps are, just as you suggested. So someone passes away, they name me as the executor of the will. I have never done this before. I have no idea what I'm doing. What are the obligations? Well, the number one obligation of an executor is to ensure that they conclude all of the deceased's affairs. So that includes making sure that the assets that the deceased has are secured. And that would include everything from financial assets, such as assets under management at your firm, insurance policies. We have a list in our software, 42 different types of assets, which come in the categories of financial assets, real estate, including the principal residence and other real estate, whether it's owned in Canada or not. And then there's benefit programs to deal with. And then there's personal use assets, which may include a wine collection, art, jewelry, etc. So essentially, if you look around your house and you think, what if I got hit by a bus tomorrow? Who has to look after all of my stuff? So it doesn't just include assets and debts. It also includes all of your service provider accounts. It's your Ontario Hydro account. It's your TELUS internet account. It's it's all of that stuff. And it's a huge responsibility. It takes a lot of time and it takes an awful lot of organizational skills and recognition that this is a serious fiduciary responsibility. When you're named executor, you're named as a fiduciary. In other words, you have the legal responsibility to hold all of the estate's assets and trust, guard the estate value, and make sure that the beneficiary's interests are protected above all else. So it's a serious job. It is. And the one that's taken far too lightly because, you know, the simple act of, oh, I'll just name them as my executor. You really have no idea what you just signed someone up for 99% of the time. It is it is serious. And as for the fiduciary burden, the reality is, and people don't understand this, and there's tons of case law surrounding this. 
the legal obligations on you to make sure things got done right and that the right people got the right money, it is, let's put it this way. If you misappropriate some of those funds, that's considered different than normal theft. Like if you were to steal $10,000 from a, from a state and versus steal $10,000 from someone just because the money's lying on the table, the legal implications of that theft are far worse on the estate side because you were a fiduciary. You were, you were charged with a legal responsibility to make sure stuff like that didn't happen. So this is something we, we cannot go you know, be light about the, the obligations here. They're, they're substantial. And as Tom Deans said in our previous podcast, the only appropriate answer when someone asks you to be the executor is no. And if you can get if you can get away with it, and if you can't, then you know you got to make sure that they're setting you up for success and not failure. So that's the first thing is the inventory. And then of course it's all about making sure it goes where it's got to go, and then getting rid and then closing down all these accounts, which sounds small, but I mean, let's just look at the worst case scenario: a, a disorganized hoarder or collector of things, right? Like. I can't even begin to imagine how much work that is. When you think of that down to like, who do my books go to, right? Like that's all residue of the estate. So the beneficiary's got option to that, right? So there's just so much to be done in, in ending the person's affairs. So now that we've made everybody feel overwhelmed by it, let's talk about best practices for not being, actually, before we do that, I talked about some legal implications. Let's talk about uh, one other thing before we get there, the liability side of this and how they absolve themselves of it and the compensation side of this, because that's one that's one point that people don't discuss enough. Yeah, well, you've raised excellent points there, all of which are 100% true. One of the biggest problems with executors is they don't even know they've been named. You could get a call from your cousin saying, oh, my mom died, your aunt Flora died, and she named you as executor. And you go, oh my God, I had no idea. So that is not an uncommon situation to start out on as an executor. So if that did happen, you have no idea who's involved, what's involved, and where everybody and everything is. So right out of the gate, you are starting out in a position of disadvantage just by not being informed and educated. First of all, informed by your Aunt Flora that Jason, your respected financial guy, I really trust you. I've named you executor of my estate. And this is the number one mistake that clients make. They don't tell their executors that they don't not only tell them their name, but also to acquaint them with the terms of their will who gets what, why they made decisions they did. And this happens all the time. And it's such an easy thing to fix. And I, I have tons of time for Tom Deans with his willing wisdom process. And the foundation of that is to tell your family what's going on after you pass away. And for some parents, that's a really big ask. I mean, they love to keep their cards close to the vest you know, and think, well, I'm not telling Jason how much money I've got. They just, and this is really yeah. school behavior. But it, well, let me take a step back on that because I've actually, so I actually just had a, a case where the client outright rejected to do it whatsoever. It's just like, okay. And a lot of that goes back to how their parents viewed money. But I would say that um, it doesn't have to get into the dollars. This is what the thing, this is the point I made to her was it, this does not have to get into dollars. This is about responsibilities and duties and who gets what. Now, yes, they can extrapolate and interpret certain numbers. If that cottage is going to be split between X people or these buildings are going to that person, you know, they can do a ballpark number, right? Like they're not done, but we under no circumstances have to get into the actual dollar amount. This is all about duties and responsibilities. If we can make them understand that, then we're already miles ahead of everybody else. 
hundred percent. And what I've done when I developed Quick Estate, which consists of an organizer as well as an executor, I did a really deep dive into the money because I spent 32 years as a financial advisor and I had sort of a subspecialty in estates and having watched so many families go through this awful process largely because they just don't know what's involved. We take the money very seriously and we do a deep dive into the amount of details that you should organize before you pass away because every detail that you record, whether you use our application or you use a notebook, makes things much, much easier for the executor. So at the end of the day, managing the money is the executor's number one responsibility because that's in the interest of the beneficiaries, but also that's where you're going to get sued. And a lot of executors, even if they know that they've been named when the person dies, they have no idea where to start. And um, I put a lot of responsibility for this firmly in the laps of the financial advisory community, the legal community, and the accounting community. Because what these clients have been school to believe is that I've got a will. Great. You've got a will. And how much life insurance do you need? And that really is the tip of the iceberg because the will only tells the executor who gets what. It doesn't give you an ounce of capability in terms of dealing with all the various assets. So in fairness, the average person's understanding of what an estate plan is, is a will. And I always say that estate planning is a process and you're confusing, you're confusing a product that is a result of that process with the actual process itself, which is not the same thing, right? Part of the process means extending beyond that, like you said, getting organized. And, and in addition to that, things like uh, not just then also having those family meetings. And I would say that the bigger problem with the industry is anyone who takes a product or sales orientated position or look at their obligations to a consumer sees no incentive in doing in, any of that. And that applies to the lawyers as well. Right. They're there to do the will, get out of the way. That's the end of it. So unless you know someone's defining their their entire service offering around the concept of comprehensive planning and making sure that they make the person's life run as smoothly as possible, they're just not going to see that. They're actually not even going to see the, the need in most cases. Well, you're 100% right about that. And we've been dealing with advisors across the country now for about four and a half years. Quick Estate started, I created it pen to paper in 2013. And in the last four and a half years, we've been dealing primarily with advisors. And I know that the, the stresses on advisors are huge with all the new compliance and So many of them are trying to be all things to all people. And frankly, a lot of them are failing because they don't seem to understand that if you're going to offer estate planning or whatever other ancillary process that you're offering, in addition to asset management, life insurance, tax planning, you have to create a repeatable, efficient process. So in the estate planning realm, we can look at... um, at who's, where can the advisor step in at each stage of general estate planning to make sure these problems don't arise. And it does start with the will, making sure that not only the client has a will, but that will was done long after your young son has grown up, that it's it's updated as needed uh-huh. in the event of divorce or remarriage or there's there's reasons to do that which are are pretty well known but the advisor's role is not just to say do you have a will but is it up to date and who did you name as your executor 
because the tendency with clients is to name their children as executors. And that's Uh based on, again, just lack of education about what comes in front of those children. And a common thing is to say, well, you know, I've got four kids and I don't want Johnny to be left out, even though he's completely incapable on an organization or financial basis. So I'm going to name all four. And well, three of the four don't get along and people just don't even think past that. So as an advisor, I think it's really helpful if you have a substantive conversation, not only to educate the client about all the work that has to be done, but who's going to carry it out. Would agree there. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us, like any of these other things, if you fail to plan properly, it's, de- it's doomed to failure. So, you know, yeah. you just talked about the same with the family dynamics issues. Family dynamics is always the biggest variable in this, I'd say. And more often than not, I'd say, I also joke that estate planners have some of the best stories because unfortunately, and, and most tragic, right? Because they get to see people at their emotional worst fight over things that have no material value, like they're fighting over the Ark of the Covenant or something. Like the, if you really want to see people not get along, not get along worse, put them in charge of an estate mutually or or let them have some degree of discretion over what happens. Like it's just, it's going to get worse. I always say the, the one way to make sure that your family hates you after you're gone is to leave an unprepared estate. So that aside, let's, let's move on to effective implementation. So you talked, we talked about like just getting organized is the first thing, right? So a number of tools out there, such as yours also, even something as simple as there's plenty of estate record keepers on paper. I mean, that's, not as elegant a solution or as good because that'll also be stale dated in no time because people's lives change all the time. So effective implementation. So if someone plans in advance for giving all the information to the executive they're gonna need to, the executive gets their hands on that. What other pearls of wisdom do you have for them in terms of how they can effectively execute the estate? Well, it's it involves, as you just mentioned, taking an effective inventory. And it's, it, it, you know, at the very least, It's what do I own, what do I owe, and where can it be found? And even if that's just making a note of, I've got an RBC account on downtown or wherever it is, or I've got a BMO account here, my investment advisor is there. That's the first thing. But it also involves knowing what to do with those assets afterwards. So as I mentioned earlier, we've taken a deeper dive on the financial side Not all the information has to be filled out, but eventually it's all going to be needed by the executor. That includes things like the cost base on assets. Sorting out the cost base on assets after a person has passed away is a nightmare. And for the advisor, trying to gather that cost base information is really useful because it may open the door to some insurance services, some tax law selling, whatever. So it's not just the basics. The basics are better than having nothing, but it's also recognizing the amount of information that the executor is going to need. And if any amount of that can be provided in advance, it's great. You mentioned people fighting over things like an ashtray turning into the Ark of the Covenant. That problem can be resolved by creating a personal effects memorandum simply something that the client types up or writes up saying, I'd like Jason to get this and I'd like Sally to get that. And if that personal effects memorandum is referenced in the will, it becomes legally binding. Otherwise, it's just a guidance point because at the end of the day, when you pass away, your kids are going to be left with all your household belongings and hopefully they get along well enough so that they're not fighting over the ashtray from Vegas that you got 20 years before. 
So that's, again, it's just being looking at everything that you've got under the microscope and saying, well, what should happen with this? Another asset that is very problematic and very common is the family cottage. That's a difficult asset to deal with. It involves some conversations involving tax and whether how to leave that. There's a few options, but none of them are great because if you- The best two options I ever heard from a state lawyer at a conference were, as far as she was concerned, there's only two ways to deal with it. One, sell the cottage and disperse the uh, the cash. Two, burn the cottage to the ground, take the money from the insurance company, disperse the cash. Because at the end of the day, and, and she was right, at the end of the day, it never ever fails to cause a conflict. Right? I've even got one case right now where the situation in the will is such that the way it was written was if one sister is okay with the other sister owning it, then it, and this is like, if sister A is okay with sister B owning it, sister uh, sister B can, can have it as part of their bequest of the estate. However, if sister A is not okay with sister B holding it, it's getting sold, right? Because there's just too much emotion Basically, like one of them really wants it. And the other one's just like, I'm not ready to let you have it. That might change in the future. And if it doesn't change in the future, then I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't want this. Right. And it's, you know, it is what it is. So it's, I mean, it, their cottages are the worst. <laughs> just yeah. people don't, don't plan on leaving your cottage to your kids unless you have one kid. That's the end of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's some really cool things that you can do to plan around it, which I'm not, I'm not going to go into, but it's just the fact that you've thought about it. Another asset that people don't pay attention to that's becoming more and more problematic are digital assets. Uh So if you pass away and your executor doesn't know where your passwords are, it can create a major problem, obviously for banking and financial passwords, but also things like Facebook and, you know, whatever rocks your boat in the digital world. And most digital providers are not willing to let the the executor have access. In the U.S., a number of states have created new laws that require digital providers, the likes of which Apple and Yahoo have been sued because they've refused to give the executor access. Laws are now changing that say if the executor needs access, they can get access. But it's not in every state, and there's very few provinces in Canada where that even exists. The legal, the lawyers and provincial bodies are still trying to figure that one out. So that's an asset where, you know, write your passwords down somewhere, use a password protector. There's lots of them out there, a digital vault for your passwords and tell your executor where your um, master password is. And then the rest is easy. So, you know, there, there are problematic assets for sure. And it just involves, again, for an advisor, It's just a simple conversation saying, Bob, let's take a look at what you owe and what's going to happen with this when you die. And normally those conversations and this kind of assistance with a state organization, I guarantee it puts you in the trusted advisor role. You become keeper of the list. And if something happens, you're going to be leaned on to help the family and retain business, maybe gain some business. So it's it's pretty important. So, so basically, at the end of the day, it comes down to get organized, get help and communicate, really. It really does. And when you look at the problems, the family friction and, and then eventually litigation, how does that arise? Well, first of all, the executor doesn't know what they're doing. The executor has a busy life of their own and they just don't have time. So it starts out saying, oh, I got to settle mom's estate. I'm just too busy this month. 
Two months later, your siblings are calling saying, hey, Jason, what's going on with mom's estate? And you're like, oh, I've been so busy. The next calls are, where's our money? So the Mm -hmm. lack of trust just magnifies the longer this process takes. And if the executor is not getting on to it, doesn't know what they're doing, not getting help and not communicating with the beneficiaries, then you're going to have problems and big problems. And the only people that are winning in this game right now are the lawyers. I always say the difference between getting a divorce and settling an estate is that with a divorce, there's only two people fighting. With an estate, it can be the whole family. And believe me, these estate lawyers are charging a fortune now, not only to do probate applications, but to get involved in settling the estate and family friction. And a handful of them are really good, but most of them are paid to drag it out as long as possible. They make more money that way. And I think they often cause more problems than they bring solutions. Plus, a lot of lawyers really just want to be involved in the legal side. A lot of them don't even want to take on a state administration. Mm -hmm. And the bank-owned trust companies are... Charge a fortune for it. They just... The lawyers and the trust companies just charge scandalous amounts. And in fairness, if the person died disorganized and if there's family friction and if it's messy, it is going to take more of their time. But the dollars to results ratio are pretty low. And that's another reason why I created Quick Estate, because a lot of the, the tasks, most of the tasks involved in settling an estate are simple administrative tasks that you could take care mm-hmm. of faster yourself than calling the lawyer or the trust company because they're going to be coming to you as the executor saying you think, oh, good. Okay. ABC trust is going to do the work, even though I'm the named executor, but guess what? That trust company or the lawyer is going to be constantly calling you every week. Jason, go find this. Jason, go get that. That's what happens. And it's quicker to do a lot of it yourself. And We purposefully designed our product to be primarily useful to advisors, but advisors can share it with clients. And it's very user-friendly. It's simple. The instructions are clear and comprehensive. So it allows the lay executor who's had no experience whatsoever to get started on the right foot with a roadmap. They know what to do at every step and and encourages communication with the beneficiaries the whole way. That's the solution. Yeah. I would also encourage people that a couple of professional commentaries there. One specifically, I think the cost of administration, I've seen this happen before you go to the bank and they'll say, oh no, we can handle that for you. Oh great. I'm so relieved because there's so much work. I don't know what I'm doing. And then you sign this contract and the fee schedule is buried somewhere in there and you don't know what the estate's worth, but suddenly now you're paying five points of that estate for someone to handle some some administrative bureaucracy. And you're right. Like the dollars to results ratios I've seen on on these, I've seen like utterly simple estates, like simple. It was just like, literally, they had a pension and a house. And for no reason for the bank to get involved on this one, like, and yet they got 5% of a, you know, they got 5% of a more than $1 million home for handling some basic paperwork. So it's painful. And then I would say too, I'll rewind this and say that where these things start to go wrong is in the actual drafting of the wills themselves. The thing about wills is that most lawyers think, just about every lawyer thinks they're pretty simple. Just take a template and you modify the template as necessary. The problem is, is that like, and I will say this much, if you find a lawyer that's a do everything lawyer, bad option. You cannot be 
the jack of all trades in law. There is just way too much to know. And if this lawyer took care of your real estate, as well as, you know, setting up a corporation, as well as setting up a spousal agreement, as well as, you know, already the, every time you add another, another checkbox for what they do, you get more and more skeptical as to how much they're able to do something effectively, because the number of terrible wills floating around that people paid good money for is staggering. And I am currently dealing with one right now, which was, uh, you know, after this six page will, after reading the first four pages of it, I knew that the guy had no idea what he was doing. You can, you very quickly learn in this industry when you read enough of these things to know which lawyers know what they're talking about, which ones don't. Unfortunately, they tend to charge the same rate. They do. And, you know, it's not unusual for, well, we always, first of all, tell people when it comes to wills or any estate matters, use an experienced estate lawyer, not your buddy, Bob, who does real estate that you golf with an experienced estate lawyer. And I can tell you that the good ones are charging well over $500 an hour. Some of them are up to $800 an hour. So are you going to pay that guy 600 bucks, $500 an hour for their assistant to call Ontario Hydro and say, Uncle Fred is dead, turn off his account? And they will do it. So I completely um, agree that lawyers have a place. And if there's any point in the process, as you go through our software, where the person should get legal advice, it's all over. Get advice from an experienced estate lawyer. But when one thing we do, and this is, we've got some great materials on our website, including an article called Executors Before You Go to a Lawyer. Like, don't even make an appointment on an estate until you have all of this information collected. Then go to the lawyer. Otherwise, it's going to be that back and forth. And the same applies for a trust company. So it's all about being prepared and it's a tough subject. I mean, we've learned that people don't want to face their own mortality. And there's a lot of people out there that think, well, when I'm on the other side of the grass, everybody else can figure it out. But the problem is you leave your family in a terrible mess. It creates often permanent rifts amongst family members that will never be resolved. And they don't remember you fondly. All they remember is the friggin' estate and how much time and trouble and grief it was. That's not how you want to be remembered by your family. 100%. I agree. And I've seen it happen. So before we wrap up, where can people find you, Melissa? Well, our website is www.quickestate, one word, Q-U-I-C-K-E-S-T-A-T-E, .ca. And there's tons of great articles on there. There's links in the footnotes and under resources. We've got articles on executor liability, choosing an executor wisely before you go to a lawyer and many others. And if you're an advisor, contact us directly. I deal with the advisor myself, having been an advisor for 32 years. I know exactly what the pain points are. And uh, you can set up an advisor license where you can have an unlimited number of organizer clients and the clients will get the executive kit as well. So uh, and uh, I see your assistant is calling the next meeting. If you might, if you mean my son, yes, he's going to be quiet for two minutes while I wrap this up. He's announced that he knows how to do, he's announced how to, how to basically uh, add 10 plus 10. So, all right. So Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. All the best.
So that was today's episode of Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I hope you enjoyed that. And again, like I said, if you can avoid it, avoid it. But if you're not, if you can't avoid it, make sure the person that you're going to be the executor for is super organized. Consider leveraging tools like Melissa's and make your life a lot easier because the cost of getting it wrong is substantial. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you. 